I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I judged a book by its cover. Even worse, I judged a show by its title. My friends, you can't do that. It was on WB. I was like, all WB shows suck. I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to watch some show called Gilmore Girls. I mean, that just sounds shitty, doesn't it? That sounds lame. The Stream Police Podcast is brought to you by OverdueReview.com. Want something more in-depth than a sarcastic, pretentious, 140-character review of your favorite movie? Read long-form reviews of movies, TV, and music from the distant and recent past at OverdueReview.com. Hello there again, my friend, and Mele Kaliki Mucka to you. Happy holidays, whatever the hell it is you like to say around your house. Welcome into the Stream Police Podcast, the Christmas 2016 edition. And I only say that because, you know, really we're releasing the episode right around Christmas. We're not really going to be talking about Christmas stuff, though. So, you know, to, to call it like the Christmas episode is a little bit misleading to you. And I don't like to be misleading to you because you're my, you're my friend. You're my imaginary friend whom I don't see. But I know you're out there. All right. I'm Clint Davis, chief of the Stream Police here on the Stream Police Podcast, movies and TV editor at OverdueReview.com. And uh, a little, little bit later on, we're going to be hearing from my good friend, my partner in crime, Andy Sedlak, music editor at OverdueReview.com. Looking forward to his segment. He's going to be touching on the Hamilton mixtape. Ooh. Can't wait to hear Andy's take on the Hamilton mixtape. I have a feeling it's going to be a good one. All right. Uh, welcome into the program. Glad to have you back along with us where we talk about uh, all things TV, movies, and music. I'll be touching on movies a little bit later on in the show, telling you I've seen a ton of movies in the last month. I'll be just giving you kind of a quick uh, little primer on what I think is worth your time, what I would probably stay away from despite all the critical hype that you're hearing. Um, but let me start the show, as I always do, by lighting my stogie up. Sitting here in my closet in Cincinnati, Ohio, breaking every fire coat under the sun. But you know what? I do it because I love you. Actually, I do it because I love the smell of a cigar while I'm sitting here talking to you. And it eases my nerves a little bit. So let me go ahead and light that up. The trusty Zippo. Ah, that's good as always. A Christmas smoke. Can't beat that. All right, let's get things started, uh, as we always do uh, here on the show, with the greatest TV show theme song of all time, 
for this week. And for this week's greatest TV show theme song of all time, I'm going a different direction. Typically, in this segment, in all the weeks I've been doing it, and I've been doing it for a while on this show, we've, we've tackled a, a good handful of great TV show theme songs, and we're going to continue to. Usually I've done, like, sitcoms or dramas, regular kind of TV shows, right, on the greatest TV show theme song of all time, but from all eras. This time I'm going to go with sports because – Sports, while it's not tip, it's not like an actual show, you know, you don't think about sitting down watching sports as like I'm watching a show. It's television entertainment, right? It's one of the original forms of television entertainment and really, in my opinion, the last true live TV that we're going to have left in the days of, you know, schedule adjusting and, and, uh, and DVR and, and Hulu and everything else. I mean, this is kind of sports is really the reason why a lot of people are keeping cable around is so that they can watch live sports. That's the big selling point anyway. So sports theme songs, there've been some great ones over the years, but I was talking with a couple of my colleagues and uh, I know Alex in Cincinnati is one of our, our great listeners here on the show. And he suggested actually, he's like, you know what? You should make the greatest TV show theme song of all time. The theme song to the NBA on NBC from the 90s, Round Ball Rock by John Tesh. And Alex, you know what you asked? I thought about it. I listened to it a bunch of times. I got pumped the hell up. And I was like, you know what? That is going to be the greatest TV show theme song of all time. So here it is for this week, Round Ball Rock from the NBA on NBC. It's one of those songs that you hear the first, like, I'm telling you, like, you hear the first, like, five notes of it, and you can hum the rest of the entire song. And if that doesn't make a great TV theme song, then I don't know what does, friends. And again, I already touched on it, but this was written by John Tesh. And isn't that crazy? I didn't realize that John Tesh, like, wrote the um, Entertainment Tonight theme song. And I mean, I knew he was a composer and everything in addition to hosting, co-hosting Entertainment Tonight, but I didn't realize he wrote TV theme songs. And I was kind of thinking about this when I was thinking about um, a, a celebrity that we just lost, Alan Thicke. He just died in, since the last time we spoke. Sad to hear it. One of TV's great dads, of course. But he also wrote theme songs. I didn't know that Alan Thicke like, wrote the Wheel of Fortune theme and um, you know a, a bunch of others. And th- this guy, was he was like a renaissance man. So John Tesh wrote the NBA on NBC theme song that ran from 1990 to 2002. And I have to say, I've, I don't think I've ever heard another John Tesh song. But that's my fa- this is my favorite John Tesh song, and it's probably a lot of people's favorite songs. The story goes as to how he wrote this. And he's told this story before. He apparently came up with the idea for the song. He was like, he wasn't near any recording equipment or anything. So what he did, this was back in the day, he called his house. He had an answer machine set up. This is the late 1980s, so you had to be basically a big shot to have an answer machine back then. He calls his house, leaves himself a message with the tune of the song. Like in the the voicemail, he's like, hey, this is John. Here's a, a possible theme song for the NBA on NBC. And he starts singing it to himself, da 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 and the rest is history, my friends. One of the great TV theme songs ever. And you hear 
hear that, and don't you just think of like Michael Jordan and Charles Barkley and Isaiah Thomas and Bill Lambeer and all those guys, Horace Grant with his goggles, Shaq and Penny. I mean, don't you just think of those guys dominating the court and, you know, high-flying dunks, Shaq breaking the backboards. I mean, this song has a ton of attitude, and it's just it's kick-ass, and it's exciting, and it's awesome. And I just hear Marv Albert's voice, basically, and Bob Costas over top of this thing. I love it. Thank you for the suggestion, Alex. Round Ball Rock from the NBA on NBC. It ran from 1990 to 2002. That's when they used that theme song. And that is my pick for the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. And I also have to give a shout-out to uh, Saturday Night Live because um, a few years ago they ran – a sketch that I thought was genius because it kind of went into the mind of what was going on when John Tesh pitched this great song to the, uh, to uh, the, the people at NBC sports. And so they went into the office and they imagined what it was like if when he originally wrote the song, he, along with his brother, Dave Tesh, who I don't think really exists. I'm not sure he might really exist, but I don't think he does. Dave Tesh wrote lyrics to go with the song and they sang it to the NBC executives. And, of course, the executives did not like the lyric version, and they requested only to have the instrumental. But it was a great sketch nonetheless. A thin premise, but a great little four-minute sketch. So I recommend going and watching that one if you get a chance. Now, speaking of great television music, and we love to talk about that on this show. We love television music. We love movie music. We love music music, whatever, any kind. But TV music specifically. Speaking of great TV music. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer has aired on television a couple times already in the holiday season. I think they're done airing it probably now for this year again. But if you haven't watched Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the great 1960s um, you know, stop-frame animation TV special, I love it almost more than really like any one-hour piece of television that's ever been produced. I've always loved this thing, and I still continue to watch it every year. It's appointment viewing for me. I watch it every year when it's on. I do not own it on DVD. I just watch it when it's on, and I love it. I mean, I schedule a time to sit down and and watch this thing. I freaking love the show. I mean, the whole thing is great. I wrote. I love Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer so much that I wrote a 10-point treatise on OverdueReview.com, laying out why it's the ultimate Christmas special. It's 10 reasons why Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is the best Christmas TV special of all time. And you might be like, you know what, Clint, that's really niche. I mean, really, how much competition is there to be the greatest Christmas TV special of all time? I mean, seriously, isn't that like a very niche pocket? No, it's not. I mean, think about it. There have been some really great ones. The Grinch, the Grinch is awesome, but it's not as good as Rudolph. Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown Christmas, classic, but not as good as Rudolph. Frosty the Snowman, another really good one, but not nearly as good as Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the little drummer boy. I mean, there have been plenty of them, but there's only one Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. So sorry, Chuck. Sorry, Grinchy. It's the greatest ever. You have to bow down. And if you want to read my reasons why, and there are very, 10 very specific, very good reasons why this is the best Christmas special ever, go to OverdueReview.com. Check it out right there on the website. If you search Rudolph, 
you'll find it first off. I haven't written. That's the only thing I've ever written about Rudolph on the website. So it should show up right at the top. How do you measure its worth? Just by the pleasure it gives here on earth. Silver and gold. Silver and gold. All right, so let's get to some television right here on the Stream Police. It's what we do best. It's what, well, it's what I do best, at least, talking about here on the show. And I got plenty of shows to talk about uh, in this episode. First off, you know, and I'm going to get to Westworld on HBO in a second, but I have to start off and give its dues to the show that I just, I, I finished, started and finished watching within the last month, and I freaking loved it. And it impressed the hell out of me, and I enjoyed watching every single hour of it. And that is Goliath on Amazon. Amazon original, uh, Amazon original series. I have been harping on you guys to get into Amazon if you haven't. People still swear by Netflix, and Netflix is great. They they do a lot of high you know caliber stuff. They crank out a lot of stuff that's almost like too much quantity for me with Netflix. But to me, Amazon, if I were like forced, somebody put a gun to my head. And was like, you can only have one streaming. I mean, what a ridiculous premise, right? Somebody puts a gun in my head and says, you can only have one streaming service. You're only allowed to have one of them, okay? I'm going to pull the trigger. I'm going to kill you if you try to keep both. So, (laughs) I mean, I don't know what world this is happening in, but people are regulating whether or not you can have one or two or three streaming services. I'm picking one. I'm going with Amazon because I just love the shows. I love, first off, the connection that they have with HBO. I love uh, their movie selection. I think is better than Netflix by a mile. Um, but their original series are really, really strong. I mean, I raved about One Mississippi earlier this year. I've told you before in previous episodes about how much I love Transparent. It's one of my favorite shows on television. There's no other show like it. Um, the Man in the High Castle, that just came back. I'm thrilled to watch new episodes of that again. Um, I mean, they've got the Grand Tour that just started. I haven't got to watch it yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Uh, just plenty of great shows from Amazon. So many good reasons to sign up for Amazon and and watch their shows. I mean, I feel like these shows are getting buried because their app's a little clunky. On the website, they don't really make a, a – it's not a, a very good website for, like, going on and looking at shows. You kind of have to know what you're doing. Um, but Goliath is just another great new show from Amazon. And I'm not sure if this is a series or if this is a mini series because it was only eight episodes. So Goliath, I believe I talked about it in my fall TV preview. I finally got to sit down and watch it. Goliath is this eight episode, eight hour show. It's a legal series. It's really about one big trial. Um, and it stars Billy Bob Thornton as this, uh, great trial lawyer, who's kind of, uh, he's he's a drunk, um, basically, and he doesn't really like to be strapped down too much, but he's he's really, like, not a bad guy. It's not a caricature. Like, this sounds like the most played-out character you've ever heard, like the drunk, washed-up lawyer, but they play it in such a great way. This character is so well-rounded, three-dimensional, and interesting, uh, Billy McBride, that he's just, he's a joy to watch and really is one of my favorite lead characters that I've seen on television in a while. So, and Billy Bob Thornton plays him geniusly. Billy Bob Thornton's one of the best actors that has ever appeared on screen and I know that sounds hyperbolic but he is I mean just look at the guy's work I mean going back to Sling Blade which he wrote and directed to Bad Santa which could have been just a shit piece of shit movie this guy made it into a classic because he he was so great in that role Monster's Ball um I mean his work in Fargo blew me away it was one of my favorite performances I'd ever seen on TV and now in Goliath he slays it again 
But the cast of Goliath is unbelievable. It, it is one of the best casts that I think has ever been put together for TV. Listen to the, the names that are in this cast. In Goliath, we've got Billy Bob Thornton at the top. Co-stars William Hurt, one of the most intense actors you know, working, and he doesn't even work very often. He's just he's just so intense. So you got Billy Bob Thornton and William Hurt. You've got Maria Bello. So you have a little, uh, like, history of violence uh, reunion right there. These three alone are, are fantastic. And then we've got people like Olivia Thurlby. We've got Sarah Winter, Molly Parker. Uh, we've got Dwight Yoakam, who uh, shows up. And I think Dwight Yoakam always does such a great job uh, in everything that he's in. And then we have performances from actors that I've never seen who just blew me away in this show, who really rose to the occasion, like Nina Arianda, uh, who plays this attorney who uh, gets Billy Bob Thornton's character into the case that they're going to be working on and, um, you know, kind of acts as his, like, number two all the way through. And they butt heads constantly, and they're just a joy to watch together. It's just a really—it was just a really cool show. And, it, it like, if you love, like, legal ease. And lawyers speak, lawyers talking to each other using legal terms that you have no idea what they mean, but they sound so smart and it's like really cool language. If you love that kind of stuff, which I do, um, you're going to really like Goliath, the way it's written. And and this show was created by Dave, co-created by David E. Kelly. And that's a name that you probably haven't heard in forever. That was what really got me interested in the show. I'm like, David E. Kelly, holy shit. I mean, this guy created Picket Fences, legendary television show. He created Allie McBeal, again, legendary television show. Um, the Practice, Chicago Hope, Boston Public, which I really liked back in the day, Boston Legal, Harry's Law. I mean, he has really been, uh, he's, his work has been everywhere. And, uh, I mean, David E. Kelly is, is a genius of television history, and he's really proven his mettle in legal TV series. And I think Goliath is going to be one of his crowning achievements as far as TV goes. Now, is it going to be a big hit? Like Ally McBeal, is it going to be on for 10 seasons and win Emmys and everything else? Probably not. It probably won't. It'll probably be under the radar, especially if it's only this one season, which I think it will be based on the way the show went. Uh, but I'm telling you, these are eight hours that you will not regret uh, watching. And if you like legal television, if you like John Grisham kind of stuff, this is like the best John Grisham you've ever seen. I mean, it's really, really good stuff. Goliath on Amazon right now. I'm telling you, spend eight hours with it. You will really dig it. The case is interesting that they cover, and the acting is a dream. I just, uh, I, I really, really like this show, and I did not understand why. Um, it just, I don't know, it, why it, it kind of, it didn't get any love. I mean, it hasn't been talked about at all. Billy Bob Thornton's going to be nominated for, he's been nominated for a Golden Globe uh, for his performance in the show, but William Hurt wasn't nominated. I was shocked by that. Uh, I was kind of expecting Molly Parker maybe to be nominated for something. The whole cast is just fantastic, and it's a really, really um, tense and interesting show to watch. So just thought Goliath was very well done. Couldn't recommend it enough. And, again, it's only eight hours. So sit down, spend some time with it. I think you'll like it. You'll laugh a little bit. You'll want to yell at the TV a few times. And um, it's just it's a good just a good show, just a good old fashioned good TV show. What else do I need to say? Ever since I took this case, weird stuff's happening to me. Are you Billy McBride? Huh? The Billy McBride. He was one of the best trial lawyers ever. What happened? Michelle left, and that's when the bottom fell out. You drank too much. It's not accurate. Just the right amount. 
what happened on the boat. They're hiding something big here. There's one of the top three law firms in the world. And then there's us. Dog has to stay down. Billy created this firm. I created this firm. So that right now is on Amazon season one, eight episodes. Uh, spend some time with Goliath and let me know what you think if you do get to check it out, because I, I really dug it. So I wanted to lead the show off by talking about Goliath before I get into the big marquee uh, show of the day, which is Westworld on HBO. I have to thank one of our most loyal listeners, Kelly, who actually hooked me up with a totally legal way to watch HBO Go slash HBO, I should say HBO Now, not HBO Go. Um, she gave me her password because I was like, you know what? She asked me, she came up to me at work. She's like, hey, have you watched Westworld yet? I'm like, no, I haven't got to watch it. I, I was dying to watch it. It was in my, uh, I listed it in my five shows that I couldn't wait to see that uh, were starting in October, but I never, I didn't get to sit down and watch it because I don't have HBO. I'm not, I'm not paid enough, all right, to, to subscribe to HBO. So Kelly was like, Ah, here. She gave me a post-it note. It's got her her name and password on it. So I owe you, Kelly. Thank you very much. I have to give you that shout-out. And I'm so glad that I got to sit down and watch Westworld because uh, this was just really intriguing TV. And the kind of show that I like watching and I think is – I think it's a kind of show that is um, respectful of its audience, right? I mean, it respects your intelligence, and it doesn't make you frustrated at the end of the day. So Westworld is a TV show that is based on the movie from the 1970s. 1973, there was a movie called Westworld that came out. It was written and directed by Michael Crichton. Um, and it starred Yul Brenner. And um, it was, you know, really about this, like, theme park, futuristic theme park, where it was like the Wild West uh, all the a bunch of the people in the park were robots, you know, kind of like Disney World. You got the, you know, androids who are in the rides. Uh, but these robots, you couldn't really tell the difference between them and humans. And the humans interacted with them, and it was kind of like you got to live in the Wild West. So that was the premise of the movie. The robots gain consciousness. They go bad, and, you know, all hell kind of breaks loose inside Westworld. So it was, a, you know, it's a good premise for a movie. It's kind of thing Michael Crichton, uh, you know, only Michael Crichton could really come up with and do well. And so HBO decided to turn it into a series, and I was a little bit you know, hesitant at first. It's like, anytime you're going to take a 90-minute movie and turn it into a 10-hour and longer television show, I'm always a little wary. But, you know, I was like, I'll give it a chance because the production values on it look so high. And this is like one of the most expensive shows ever made, and it's got a great cast. Again, we're talking in the cast of the uh, HBO series Westworld. How about these names? We've got Anthony Hopkins, Sir Anthony Hopkins. We've got Ed Harris. We've got Evan Rachel Wood, James Marsden. I mean, some really, really fine actors in this cast. Jeffrey Wright, uh, one of those guys that you always see and you're like, oh, I, I can't remember his name, but I, I know who he is. So it's a, it's a very, very good cast, and it's a joy to watch these people act together. Now, I will say the characters in Westworld are more than a little stiff. This is not like what I would call a fun show to watch. It's heavy. But if you like Lost, this show is a lot like Lost. I mean, this is kind of like 
We don't have Lost anymore. We don't have that show that's going to have you guessing at every turn. You're wondering what's real, what's not. We don't really have that anymore. So a show like Westworld I think we need because it's a good conversation starter, and it's one that um, does leave a lot of things open for interpretation. But I appreciated that by the end of the first season, 10-episode first season, they really, I felt like, answered every question. Like, I did not, you know how in Lost and in the X-Files, there were so many great mysteries, but like they didn't even bother trying to get near solving any of them. It was like, let's just create more and more. That's the worst thing about the X-Files. Let's just create more and more mysteries, and we're never going to answer them. So don't get your hopes up, because we're never going to answer any question that we throw out there. And I appreciate ambiguous writing. I appreciate leaving it up to the audience. But at a point, you know, when you do it over and over again, and when it's like lost where the, premise, the, the premises and the things that are happening are so ridiculous. Um, you know, a polar bear on the island, things like that, the island moving in physical space. When those things are so ridiculous, it's like there's a wheel underneath the island that you turn. I mean, these things are so out there that we can't come up with theories that are going to satisfy. We want to know really what was going on. We don't want to come up with theories because it's so, it's so goofy. Like, we're not science fiction writers, you know, by trade. We're just people who work at a, at, a, at a bank or a deli or something, and we watch this crazy-ass show, and we would like a little bit, of, a few things to be explained. So Westworld, I really appreciate, they throw a lot of mysteries out at you, and a lot of things are left, leave you thinking, you know, you're going, oh, my God, who's a, who's a robot and who's not? Things like that. What time period is this really set in? All those kind of things start creeping into your head. But... By the end of the season, they answer all the questions that they threw out there. I feel like I'm trying to think of one that they did not answer, and I feel like they really answered them all. Um, now, that's not to say that the second season is not going to be interesting because they did leave things open to, a, I think, what could be a really good storyline for the second season. Um, but I just I really appreciate them res- respecting the audience, but also respecting the audience's time and the audience's energy because we just don't we don't all have the energy to come up with all these ridiculous plot lines of what they all mean what really happened uh but westworld is uh it's cool to watch because you're watching a couple different storylines carry out over time you're watching a storyline in the park so you've got all these guests these it costs i think they they mention it in the show like once i think it's forty thousand dollars a day or something like that to stay at the park. It's it's something like that. It's ridiculous. Like you have to be rich to go to Westworld. Like it's it's way more expensive than Disney World could ever hope to be. But you're totally immersed in this world. You can do whatever you want. I mean, you can uh, have sex with any robot you want. You can kill any of them you want to, and then they're always brought back. Um, you can rob banks. You can be a good guy. You can be a bad guy. You can go on treasure hunts. All these adventures lie out there for you. And you have, like, characters who have spent years and years at the park who come every year try to solve new mysteries. You have people who are just at their first time in the park and don't really know what to make of it. First and only time at the park. Um, you have people that can't wait to come back so they can continue on a storyline that they started years ago. So there are all kinds of really interesting uh, ways that they, I think, expanded the universe and made it feel really realistic. Um, and, and Westworld, just let me say, the show—and there's also a storyline, I'm sorry— happening like behind the scenes. So the people who work at the park, the people who create the robots, the people who write the storylines, the people who are pulling the strings, if you will. 
there's a storyline going on with them as well. And, you know, like a corporate takeover of the park and they're trying to push the original creator out who's played by Anthony Hopkins. You know, has he lost his touch? Is he nuts? Has he always been nuts? I don't know. So there's a lot of there are a lot of storylines being juggled on this show. Romantic storylines, um, just kind of like some action adventure stuff happening in the in the old West setting. There's kind of something for everybody. I got the most into the show when we were following Ed Harris's character, who's like this mysterious man in black. The man in black is what they call him through almost the entire uh, season. He's just the man in black. No name. He's just this intense guy. And he's been coming to the park year after year, basically since it opened. And he's looking for like one thing. He's trying to figure out what is this park all about? What is the point? What's the end game here? How do I get to it? And so he's on his way trying to figure that out. And that to me was when the show was the most interesting. When we had Ed Harris and we had like Evan Rachel Wood um, and the storylines were just really clicking between these guys and just moving forward. Um, it was it was really cool stuff, really exciting stuff as well. Uh, so I like the show. It's got some, it's, it's a hard show to watch sometimes because, you know, obviously the robots are at a point, I mean, they're living beings. And so every time uh, a guy has, you know, rapes one of the robots, which there's a bunch of, there are a lot of rape scenes in this show. Rape is used as a story, you know, telling device in the show uh, plenty of times. And it's, it's sad. It's hard to watch because it's not a robot. I mean, this is, these are essentially people at a point we get to know them. So it's, it's hard stuff to watch sometimes. Um, and to watch their memories be stripped away from them. I mean, this is this, this show poses a lot of philosophical and ethical questions, I think, for moving forward and, and for humanity. Really, uh, if we're going to keep advancing in technology, we're going to have to answer a lot of these questions uh, that Westworld and that Michael Crichton originally, the late great Michael Crichton, threw out there. Uh, what I'll say about Westworld is it wasn't my favorite show. I got way into it as it went on. And I think it's like... It built to a great crescendo, and that mean meaning that at the end, I think it was at its strongest. I think it finished strong, but for the first few episodes, it's very slow. There's a lot of repetition, and that's by design. So if you're gonna watch it, you know, stick with it, but just know it's a slow go. It's only ten episodes, but it's kind of a slow go. But these episodes really look like movies. I mean, this is these are great production values. Some of the best production values I have ever seen. On TV, and I wonder what the legs of the show are going to be. I'm not sure how it did ratings-wise. It is. It already has been nominated for a bunch of Golden Globes, but I don't know how it did ratings-wise. I mean, HBO a few years ago, if you'll remember, did a show called Rome, and it was set, you know, back in ancient Rome, and it like set records for the being the most expensive TV show. And this was in HBO's heyday. This was like Sopranos was still on, Six Feet Under was coming to a wrap, The Wire was running. Um, Sex in the City, I think, was actually still kind of on its last legs. So it was like, kind of, you know, HBO had kind of been reaching its peak as far as being a critical powerhouse. And they did this show, Rome, and it just, they couldn't sustain it. It was, uh, it, it was too expensive to produce week after week. Now, Game of Thrones is really expensive as well, and they've kept that going because it's one of the highest rated television shows and the highest rated show that HBO has ever done. Uh, but I wonder what the legs of Westworld will be. I don't I don't see it being like Game of Thrones popular. I could be wrong. Uh, I just don't think it I just think it's too dark, honestly, um, to be that kind of a show. And I think it may be a little too heady to be that kind of a show because it does require a lot of thought and it requires a lot of careful viewing, a lot of detective-like viewing. But I recommend Westworld if you if you like Lost, if you like that kind of mystery, 
uh, but you actually want some answers, then check out Westworld. It's uh, it, it's good stuff. Now, I don't know if it's for the faint of heart. Again, tons of nudity, tons of nudity, tons of sex, lots of violence. Um, it's a hard TVMA kind of show, lots of uh, strong language. Um, it's definitely adult TV, but uh, it's audacious stuff for HBO. It's brave stuff. And I could see this being a kind of show that could win like a Peabody Award or something because of what it's kind of saying about humanity, where we're going, where we've been. Um, so, yeah, I, I commend HBO for taking a chance on this. And I'll be interested. I'll be definitely checking out season two, looking forward to it. But if you do sit down with it, just remember it builds to a great crescendo in the end. Um, and the first few episodes, yeah, they're very slow plodding along but uh it's worth it to stick with it through the end again it's only 10 hours so what else are you gonna do with 10 hours i guess you could watch one of the 400 other tv shows it's on but you know why not spend it with westworld i have to warn her warn her dolores the things you do to her the things you do to her i have to protect her i have to help her i, I... He's got to get out. Very good, Mr. Abernathy. That's enough. This behavior, we're miles beyond a glitch here. Access your current build, please. What is your itinerary? To meet my maker. So if you watch Westworld, uh, hit me up. Give me a drop me a line at theclintdavis at gmail.com. Did you feel like all the questions were answered? Am I missing something? Am I not thinking of a storyline that did not come to a, a pretty good uh, resolution in the end of the first season? I don't know. So uh, check out the show and, and drop me a line, theclintdavis at gmail.com. All right, I'm going to take a breather, literally, I guess. I'm going to smoke my stogie, drink a little water, and uh, pass things over to Andy Sedlak, our music editor. Let's see what he's got going on this week. Take it away, Andy. I don't know about you, but I was shocked in the last episode when Clint said he liked, no, he said he loved Gilmore Girls. Shocked. Because because that show sucks. (laughs) I never, I just never enjoyed it. Maybe it's because my uh, my high school girlfriend made me watch it, and after twenty minutes, I wanted to put a knife in my eye. I, I'd sit there and silently pray for a power outage. And you know, I got to thinking about this, and I've touched on this before, but memories dictate your perception of art that's just how it works in music if you have good memories to go along with the song well then it's a good song you'll stick up for it if for some reason it's guilty by association well you're not quite so generous personal experience trumps all then you have another thing entirely which is altering the art that you once loved. And that's a very confusing situation. It's like when they go back in and, and add color to black and white movies. 
which is actually illegal in France because they have a higher respect for art and the fashion in which it's presented. I digress. This, of course, happens in music as well. For instance, Chubby Checker just released a remix, just released a remix of The Twist. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's the most successful single in the history of the Billboard chart. It topped the chart in 1960, and then again in 1962. It's a classic, and now it's been remixed and remastered. And this is all for the kids. According to the producer, they wanted a new recording that would sound good on an iPhone or on a computer. It needed a digital makeover. And it's not the first time that uh, Chubby Checker has revisited his own history. In fact, Checker actually made a career of it. Aside from the twist, he also recorded... Twist in USA, let's twist again, slow twist and twist it up and twist in round the world. For the record, uh, he also did Limbo Rock and Let's Limbo Some More. Now, to be fair, if, if any artist in the 50s or 1960s had a hit, oftentimes the sound or subject matter would be replicated. Checker wasn't the only one to do this, but man, what a career path. To keep going back and to rework with the same composition. Checker is 75 years old now. And apparently the 2016 Twist remix was his idea. And if you're really into it, he'll be at the FYE store in Uncasville, Connecticut next week. It's an in-store appearance ahead of his show in town later that night. Now maybe I'm wrong. But I don't think Uncasville is a totally hot market. Just kind of sad. I know he's still playing music for a living. But it goes beyond that. He didn't write the twist. Hank Ballard did. He just recorded the twist. Did a hell of a job. It's a lot of fun. But he was the voice 
for that song 50 years ago, and here he is. Still kicking that same can down the road. Revising his own art. It's a funny world we live in. While some cling to the same song and dance, others are more vibrant, bold, ballsy. That brings me to the Hamilton mixtape. No doubt you've heard about Hamilton. No doubt you've heard about the Broadway sensation. No doubt you've heard about the encounter with Mike Pence. Vice President-elect Pence, we welcome you and we truly thank you for joining us here at Hamilton and American Musical. We really do. We, sir, we are the diverse America who are alarmed and anxious that your new administration will not protect us. We should mention that Pence gave the actual show a very favorable review. Now the Hamilton mixtape has been released... And it's dominating millennial playlists across the country. Sia, Nas, Common, John Legend, Alicia Keys, Chance the Rapper, all doing Hamilton songs for this, uh, I guess it's a soundtrack album of, of sorts. Though it feels like the pop world is giving back or giving thanks to the, uh, the defining artistic gesture of our generation thus far. If that sounds heavy, it's because it is. It's a soundtrack album and a tribute album all wrapped up into one. Ben Folds is on it. Kelly Clarkson is on it. Miguel is on it. The artists span generations, timelines, audiences. And that's what a good compilation album needs to do. It should give you your favorites and then introduce you to a few artists that you wouldn't have necessarily dialed up yourself. Remember when Ja Rule uh, and Ashanti teamed up? Well, they do it again here on the Hamilton mixtape. Let me talk to him. What? Ashanti, I ain't got a dollar to my name. It ain't even land a troop to command a dollar for fame. All I have mine, a tolerance for pain. A couple of college credits in my top notch brain. Insane. Aloe Black is on it. The Roots are on it. Buster Rhymes is on it. Rise up when you're living on your knees. You rise up. Tell your brothers that we gotta rise up. Tell your sisters that she gotta rise up. Come on, when the folks like me and you gonna rise up. the Hamilton mixtape is uh, is a labor of love the show itself lives up to the hype so does the mixtape album don't be alienated when you see people who don't know a thing about music going on and on about it yeah it's usually a bad sign but not this time more than anything, it's empowering. And, and, and I don't care if that sounds corny. Fuck it, it is. And your mug shot, gunshot, dope shot, jump shot. Take your pick, but you only get one shot. Advice from 
a school teacher to a young top, applying a sticker to a Spider-Man lunchbox. When even role models tell us we're born to be felons, we're never getting in a Harvard or Carnegie Mellon, and we're going to end up either robbing somebody or killing. It's not fair, that's all they can tell us. A couple of things uh, to run through. Blood Orange and Carly Rae Jepsen collaborated on a new song called Better Than Me. It's better than you would think. Atmospheric, moody. Save it for your best emo moment. Also, the Rolling Stones. Hey, the Rolling Stones put out a blues cover album. It's better uh, also. It's be- it's also better than you would think. And I thought it'd be pretty good. It's called Blue and Lonesome. You know, the Stones can get too calculated, too stiff, too on brand. And this has a loose, uh, screw it attitude. They still get it done. After 50 years, they still get it done. Hey, Punchier than anything else in rock right now. It's sexier than metal, smarter than pop. The Stones are the Stones. You can't get any better. All right, friends, as you know, we are building the most perfect playlist known to man. Here are five songs to add to your playlist. First, from Ziggy Marley, it's Beach in Hawaii. Second from Van Morrison, this is the way young lovers do. way back from the Dave Clark 5 this is called Come Home Please remember while I'm away I think of you night and day of the things of the fun while we were one only one thing I want to one that's timely Paul Simon getting ready for Christmas Day from early in November to the last week of December I got money matters weighing me down well the music may be merry but it's only temporary I know Santa Claus is coming to town in the days I work my day job in 
Finally, from the Stone Roses, it's made of stone. Guys, thank you so much. Behave. Thank you very much, Andy. As always, loving the uh, five songs you got to add to the playlist. If you go to Spotify and you search Stream Police Podcast, you'll see the actual playlist. Um, We update it every time Andy picks five more songs. We put the five songs on there, provided if they're on Spotify. Sometimes he goes very obscure. Or it's not even, it doesn't even have to be obscure. Sometimes artists are just assholes and they don't want to put their music on Spotify. Neil Young. For whatever reason. Um, but you, you pretty much almost every song that he has, uh, has picked out is up at the playlist. The evolving and long-running Stream Police five songs collection. So go up there and search Stream Police and you'll uh, be able to follow the playlist. And I think you will enjoy it. Andy's uh, done a nice job putting it together. Uh, and how about that? How about this week's picks? Paul Simon and Van Morrison in the same break? Lucky us. Thank you very much, Andy. Uh, once again, I'm Clint Davis, movies and TV editor at OverdueReview.com. Urge you to go over to the website. Check it out. I've got my thoughts up there about La La Land, which I am calling right now the most overrated movie of 2016. I didn't like it. No, sir, I don't like it. No, sir, I don't like it. And I put my thoughts up at OverdueReview.com. You can read my rebuttal. Maybe you saw it. Maybe you loved it. Send me an email, theclintdavis at gmail.com. But read my thoughts first and see if maybe I can get you to come around to my way of thinking. I just I did not see what is so great about this movie. I don't understand it. Damien Chazelle. Are, is Damien Chazelle going to be the guy now who every movie he makes is a critical darling, best picture nominee? I mean, come on. So many better movies done this year than that. Sorry, I'll get to movies here in just a few minutes. But let me uh, start this segment. I, I talked last time on the Stream Police podcast. I poured my soul out to you guys, as I always do, about my love for Gilmore Girls. My wife, Beth, got me into Gilmore Girls. I'd never seen it, never given it a thought. It was on WB. I was like, all WB shows suck when I was younger. I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to watch some show called Gilmore Girls. I mean, that just sounds shitty, doesn't it? That sounds lame. I judged a book by its cover. Even worse, I judged a show by its title. My friends, you can't do that. If we were going to do that, we would think The Sopranos was a singing competition. And you know you can't do that kind of stuff, all right? So Gilmore Girls, A Year in the Life, hit Netflix since the last time we spoke. Uh, Beth and I sat down, watched the whole thing, four 90-minute episodes. They're doing it like 
uh, masterpiece theater Sherlock style, four 90 minute episodes, basically four Gilmore Girls movies, if you want to frame it that way. And after watching them, I felt like really all four of them just needed to be about an hour. There was about a half hour of fat in each of those episodes that easily could have been trimmed. But I have a feeling Netflix just gave carte blanche to Amy Sherman Palladino and Daniel Sherman Palladino. And I will say that after watching these new episodes of uh, of Gilmore Girls A Year in the Life, the two episodes that were done by Daniel Sherman Palladino I thought were by and large, better than the ones done by Amy, which I can't believe I'm saying right now. But anyways, I liked Gilmore Girls A Year in the Life. Uh, I thought it you know, kept up with the spirit of the show. It was fun to see these characters again. It was fun to see Stars Hollow again. It was fun to finally hear how uh, you know the show really was supposed to end um, at the end of the day, even if I didn't really like the ending that they presented. Now, let me say this. If you watched Gilmore Girls A Year in the Life, I want to know what you thought about the ending. What did you think about those last, how many words was it? Last four words or something like that? It was a hashtag. Hashtag last four words. I don't really give a shit about the hashtag, but I'm just saying, what did you think about the ending? The last thing that Rory says before uh, the show goes to black, basically forever. We're not supposed to have any more new episodes, apparently, from what I've heard. My reaction, and, and Beth liked the ending. She thought it made sense. It kind of brought the show full circle, which I do agree with that. It did bring the show full circle, maybe a little too literally. But God damn, it depressed the hell out of me, those last few words, because I just want more for Rory. Rory is a character that I've grown to care for. I think, yeah, she's like a spoiled brat, really, who's had much too easy a life. But that doesn't mean she needs to be punished. That doesn't mean she needs to kind of repeat the past she doesn't need to be stuck in some kind of limbo i mean what is stars hollow is it actually like hell is it actually limbo i don't know but it's almost like one of those greek tragedies where the character is stuck now in this kind of endless sad loop um so gilmore girls a year in the life ends on definitely what i felt was like a bummer note i think some people were not bummed out by it which is you know interesting that an ending could go both ways but Overall, not just talking about the ending, I I enjoyed it. I didn't like the fat shaming that they did in the summer episode. I thought that was just in horrible taste. When I was watching it, I was like, oh, my God, why? I mean, why are you going out of your way to make Lorelai and Rory these unlikable, shallow, shitty people? I mean, that's not how I think of them. I mean, I like them. And that kind of made me question everything I thought I knew. Let me give a shout-out. In Gilmore Girls A Year in the Life, of course, I've said before, I think Lauren Graham is flawless. She's never done anything wrong as far as acting goes. Alexis Bledel, also, you know, pretty flawless. Um, she uh, she does a great job coming back as Rory. I have to give the biggest shout-out, though, to Kelly Bishop, who plays Emily Gilmore. I feel like they did the most with her character in this reboot that they did with anyone. I mean, really, nobody, none of the characters really grew that much. In these new episodes, except for Emily Gilmore. Emily Gilmore became so much more three-dimensional, I feel like, in these these four episodes. Um, the actor who played uh, Richard Gilmore, the father of Lorelai and, and Emily Gilmore's husband, he died in real life. IRL, he died, you know, since the show ended. So they couldn't bring him back, obviously. I think they were going to, but... His death, as morbid as this sounds, I think ended up being a good thing for the show because it gave a really interesting like push-off point for Emily Gilmore and for uh, you know something heavy 
for Lorelai to deal with, something heavy for Rory to deal with, um, instead of just like the usual town gossip and all that stuff. So uh, Kelly Bishop did a great job. I thought they wrote her character well. I loved where she ended up in the end. And I was just really impressive. I never really cared that much about Emily so much. I mean, I just kind of thought she was like an uptight, you know, she had like a stick up her ass, which I think was the point. But she felt a lot more real after a year in the life had ended. And this was an interesting way to do the show. You know, four episodes, one episode for each season of the year, you know. Um, Some of the cameos of some of the old characters felt very tacked on, like they felt like they had to do it. But for the most part, it was fun to see everybody. Everybody still looked good. Everybody, you know, still the the clothes still fit. Um, I will say that Luke looks old. I mean, really, really old in this show. And I was looking it up, and no wonder he looks old. He is freaking old. Scott Patterson, who plays Luke, is 58 years old, and Lauren Graham, who plays Lorelai, and they're supposed to be together in the show, is 49. So, honestly, it's like Luke's age is closer to Emily Gilmore's age than it is to Lorelai Gilmore's age, which is just crazy. So he looks he looks old for a reason. I guess he's, he's kind of worn out at this point. Too many hours there at Luke's diner uh, for good old uh, Scott Patterson. But... Anyways, the uh, Gilmore Girls A Year in the Life, all four episodes of it right now are up at Netflix. I guess it was a big hit. Uh, Sounds like a lot of people streamed it. I don't know. Netflix doesn't release these kind of things, so we'll never know. But little conclusion, little tip of the hat to Gilmore Girls A Year in the Life. So, how does it feel? It feels right. (laughs) Yeah. Such a long time getting here. Sometimes it's just a journey, you know? Yeah, I guess so. I just thought it'd be the spinster daughter who stays home forever and looks after Mama. Oh, I've got Kirk for that. Let me see. Who can we marry you off to? <laughs> Ooh, I know. Did that nice Pee Wee Herman ever find himself a lady? I'm thinking no. It's a pretty safe bet. You wanted to marry him when you were little, remember? I also wanted to marry Edward Scissorhands and Jerry Orbach from Law & Order. Your taste ran the gamut. <laughs> that ending, though, man, I don't know. Just... Rub me the wrong way. Bum me out. That's not how I want to feel when I'm done watching Gilmore Girls. I don't want to be bummed out. It's not that kind of show. Uh, so what did you think, though? Drop me a line, theclintdavis at gmail.com. Am I making too big a deal out of it? Was it not that sad in the end? It just really, it it, it just, it was a blow, man. It was a blow for sure. Uh, the show didn't blow, but it was a blow, if you know what I'm saying. All right, let's switch to theaters uh, real quick. I don't want to belabor. I don't want to talk too much about all these movies because I am going to be doing like my annual uh, 10 best movies of the year list coming up in a future episode. Probably in our February episode, I'll be doing that uh, because that's right about going to be about the time the Oscars uh, happen. So I'll do my year in 2016 list two months into 2017, which is also the same way I did my year in 2015 list, if you remember, in February of this year. Go back and check that out if you uh, missed my 10 best of last year. So in theaters right now, I've seen a bunch of movies that are in theaters right now, and I want to run five of them down for you just tell you real quickly what I thought about them, what you need to see, what you don't need to run out and see right now. And no, I have not seen Rogue One yet, so I'm not going to be giving you a take on that, although Felicity Jones is, again, flawless in my book. I love Felicity Jones. I worship this woman, and I'm so glad that she's going to be part of the Star Wars universe. So... Uh, I would give it a recommendation on that, but, you know, I got to do my due diligence and go see it before I can really tell you what's up with Rogue One. I'm sure you've probably already seen it. You don't need to hear from me. Let me tell you about some other movies, though, that aren't Rogue One, that aren't 
blowing up in theaters right now. Number one, Moonlight. I give Moonlight five stars out of five. I love this film. This is the one, if if I'm going to tell you, you need to go out and see one movie before the end of December. If you need to go see one movie before award season is up, Moonlight is the film. If you see Moonlight playing near you, go and see this film. It is beautiful. It is why I love movies. We're learning about characters that feel 100% real, played by actors who are working their asses off. They're not making much money. we got real artists behind the camera uh, that are writing the script. This is just great storytelling. And uh, another example, not like we really needed them, but of... Diversity in film being such a great thing. So what this movie is about, Moonlight is a a movie that's divided into three sections. It follows a character named Chiron, um, who is played by three different actors through time. He, uh, we, we see him as a little kid, then we see him as a teenager in high school, then we see him um, as uh, an adult, as a full-blown adult, and uh, kind of the things that have molded him in these moments that have made him the man he is at the end of the film. It's a definite coming-of-age movie for sure, and it's tough. I mean, this is like really about growing up in kind of tough conditions. You've got a drug addict for a mother, um, and you've got uh, a character who in the end does become a drug dealer himself. And what pushes him to that? I don't know. Uh, You'll find out by the end of the movie, but uh, it's just it's a journey that's really worth taking, and it is a beautiful movie. The movie looks great, and as I said, it is so well acted. Um, I just I really really enjoyed this film. Barry Jenkins was the director um, of the movie, and he really hadn't done anything other than this film. He did a movie in two thousand eight called Medicine for Melancholy, uh, and that was his debut film. And then here it is, eight years later, he's done Moonlight, which I think is going to launch him into becoming one of the uh, really one of the most powerful black filmmakers I would have to say uh, on earth pretty much the entire cast is black and and I say that like the whole cat there I think there's one white person in the movie who's like in the background in a diner scene so as I was watching this movie that was one of the things that struck me I'm like this is how when black audiences go to like any movie that's ever been made in the history of mankind they probably feel like Oh, wait, there was a black guy in the background at that diner. That was the only black guy in the movie. That's how it was with Moonlight. There was only, like, one white person in the entire movie. And when I say white, I'm saying even non-black. There was, like, one non-black person. And they're in the background at a diner. So this is, like, the reverse of what has happened in every movie ever since Hollywood started making movies, uh, pretty much. And it's, this is a great film. Uh, I, I just, I really fell in love with Moonlight. It was hyped up a little bit before I went and saw it. Uh, you know, Critical Darling, all this stuff, won some awards at some festivals. Uh, but it, it could win Best Picture for all I care, and I would be happy with that. So I really loved Moonlight. I haven't seen all the, the films yet that I'm looking forward to this award season, but right now it's my favorite uh, for the year of 2016. So if you're going to go see one, Check out Moonlight. If you're going to go see two movies in award season, make it Moonlight and make the other one Loving. Loving, I also loved. Um, And that sounds just like what it is, Loving, L-O-V-I-N-G. This is a movie about the Supreme Court case in the 1960, if you can believe it, 1967. 67, not that long ago. It's in your parents' um, lifetimes. May even be in your lifetime. 1967. There was a Supreme Court case, Loving versus Virginia, that finally legalized 
interracial marriage, or I should say invalidated state laws that prohibited interracial marriage. It took that long for that to become uh, something that we said as a nation we're not going to stand for anymore, banning people from marrying people who are not the same race as them. I mean, are you? We are. We are cavemen. People, I mean, that's that's that is the reality here. So, Loving is this great movie that is so appropriate at this time because of all the advances we've seen with gay marriage, and it'll make you think about that. But this is crazy. I mean, this is we're talking about black and white getting married, and it follows this beautiful couple, uh, real life couple, Richard Loving and Mildred Loving, and their story is just so like inspiring beautiful i was i cried um at the end of this movie um it, this is this is a gorgeous film and it's directed by jeff nichols who is quickly becoming one of my favorite directors in all of hollywood uh he did mud with matthew mcconaughey um he did midnight special which actually right now has uh hit i believe it's on netflix could be amazon it's on one of them um and it was you know uh, really, it, it was hailed. I haven't seen it yet, but I, I loved Mud. That was a, that was a great movie. It was one of those reconnaissance movies. Uh, but Loving just impressed the hell out of me, and it was so well made. Just classic filmmaking. No tricks. Um, you know, no special effects. No makeup. Really, just beautiful acting. Great script. Good story based on a true story. Um, and, and just, you know, good old fashioned storytelling filmmaking. So I give a lot of credit to Jeff Nichols. He also wrote the movie. Uh, but I, I, Joel Edgerton plays Richard Loving. Ruth Nega, who I had not seen before. Apparently she'd been in some other stuff, but I think she's going to be a star now. She plays Mildred Loving. The two of them are just perfect. It's, 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 it's great. And Michael Shannon shows up in one scene. And as always with Michael Shannon, he steals like the entire film in the one scene he's in. I just kept wanting his character to come back, although he had no excuse to come back. Um, I love this movie. This is a really good movie about love, uh, a good romantic film, and it's a true story. So show it to somebody, watch it with somebody, and learn something about our history. Uh, Loving versus Virginia, but the movie is called Loving. And uh, if you're going to see two movies this year, I'm telling you, go see Moonlight and go see Loving. You will not regret it at all. So th those are two movies you got to go see. One's I'm going to give a pass to. I've already told you La La Land. I think it stinks. I saw it. Didn't like it at all. Way overrated. People are too nostalgic these days. Um, and that is uh, one that's going to be up for all the Oscars. Could win the Oscars. I'll be pissed if it does. But read my uh, uh, story on the website about how I think it's the most overrated movie of 2016. It's like an anti-review. I lay it all out for you right there. Also, Passengers with Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence. I saw that the other day with Beth. And um, it was a movie that I didn't love. I didn't hate. I didn't even really like it that much, but I didn't really dislike it. I'm right down the middle on Passengers. I just feel like it tried to do too much. It's It was really more romantic than I thought it was going to be. Like, more romance than I, I was expecting in this. I just thought kind of like a sci-fi, uh, I don't know what I expected, like a sci-fi atmospheric kind of thing, um, character study. But no, it's really a romantic action film is what it is at the end of the day. And Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence, I don't really think I bought as a couple. If you want to see Chris Pratt's naked ass, go see it because you get to see it like three times in the movie. Um, and there is some good atmospheric filmmaking done here. The the ship that they're on, the, the premise of the movie is that the they are – on this 90-year journey from Earth to, like, a colony planet. And uh, Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence wake up too early. Their pods, their hibernation pods malfunction. They wake up too early. 
like 30 or they wake up like 30 years into the journey or something or no i'm sorry it's like 10 years into the journey there's like 80 years left to go um in this journey I'm messing up the numbers. But anyways, they're going to die on the ship of old age is basically the point. They're going to die long before the, the ship actually reaches the planet that it's trying to go to. So, you know, it's like the mystery of, like, what happened? How are they going to survive? You know, what what are they going to do? It's essentially like a movie with two people in it. That's it. So it's got kind of the castaway thing going on, but it's nowhere near as good as that Um it's not as serious as that. Passengers is really silly at the end of the day. I felt like it just turned into like this silly action, over-the-top action movie. Um, and it was trying too hard. Jennifer Lawrence was trying too hard to be sexy and all this stuff. And she doesn't have to try that hard to be sexy. But the movie was really trying hard to just make her this sex pot. So, I don't know. Didn't dig it very much. I'd probably not recommend Passengers and definitely would not recommend La La Land. I'd also recommend you go see Arrival. If you love sci-fi, that's the one to see. If you want to go see a sci-fi movie, don't see Passengers. See Arrival. That's well done, meaningful, not silly, um, just just strong filmmaking. And Amy Adams, uh, once again, is uh, is perfect in a movie. She's she's proven herself time and time again to be one of the best female actors that we've got on the planet. So. In theaters right now, giving my full thumbs up to Moonlight and Loving and also Arrival. I'm telling you to pass on Passengers and La La Land. Finally, last thing as I wind down here, now streaming that you may not have seen. I like to give you a pick on Netflix and a pick on Amazon that I feel maybe you didn't see. A couple recent picks for you. I'm not going back too far. On Netflix right now, 2016's The Jungle Book. I reviewed it on this show um, I did a review of it months ago, and I told you I gave it five stars out of five. I loved the Jungle Book remake, and I am a stickler, a true diehard lover of the original 1960s Jungle Book from Disney. But they did it proud with this new one. Uh, it's It might be Jon Favreau's best movie, to be honest with you. I might have liked it even more than the original Iron Man. So the Jungle Book, right now on Netflix, if you didn't see it, Run out and watch that movie right now. It's uh, it is a fantastic film and a true uh, neo masterpiece for Disney. They should really be proud of that movie. Uh, and finally, on Amazon, if you didn't see it last year, 2015 saw a new version of Shakespeare's Macbeth, simply titled Macbeth. It's right now on Amazon. It stars Michael Fassbender and Marion Cotillard, and it is a dream if you love acting because these two are truly two of the best actors that have ever been on screen, um, and they are just dialed in from start to finish. Marion Cotillard as Lady Macbeth is perfect. I mean, I swear to God, she should have been nominated for an Oscar for her role in Macbeth. Uh, And the movie's gorgeous, too. This is a really good-looking movie. The guy who directed Macbeth is the same guy who's directing the Assassin's Creed movie that's about to come out with, again, Michael Fassbender and Marion Cotillard. And I played the Assassin's Creed games. They're a cool story, but video game movies always suck. But honestly, after seeing Macbeth, I was kind of like, man, Assassin's Creed might be good if these people are involved in it. The caliber of people, these are like true artists. So I'm not closing the book on Assassin's Creed yet after seeing Macbeth. But anyways, Macbeth right now is on Amazon. If you love Shakespeare, give it a watch. It's true to the original Shakespeare translation. Um, Not translation. Shakespeare wrote in English, obviously. But true to the original Shakespearean script, I should say. Uh, And it's just a very well-done movie and... uh, one of my favorite Shakespeare movies I've ever seen. Uh, really loved Macbeth. That's right now on Amazon, and The Jungle Book is on Netflix. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the show. We'll talk to you guys in a few weeks. Please write us, theclintdavis at gmail.com or sedlackjournal 
at gmail.com. Drop us a line. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we, uh, we love talking to you guys every few weeks here on The Stream Police. I'm Clint Davis, movies and TV editor at OverdueReview.com. Thanks again to Andy Sedlak, our music editor. Read our work at the website, OverdueReview.com. Until next time, stream on, my friend. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.